Well, if you would mind standing here with me and uh, turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 5. And we're just going to go ahead and read um, all of chapter 5 here. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome, so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You may be seated. Well, this morning um, I would like to speak to you just on the worthiness of Christ. So, what's happening in this scene? Well, the Apostle John, who was exiled uh, to the island of Patmos, and on the Lord's Day, he was caught up in a vision into heaven. We hear about the scroll that no one is worthy to open. This great dilemma in heaven causes John to start weeping. But what happens next ought to cause our jaws to drop. Someone walked up to God 
and took the scroll from out of his hands. Who is this lion? And why is he worthy to open this scroll? As Mason pointed out this past July, who can walk up and take something from God? In other words, who is worthy to command history? So as as he was pointing out, this scroll was given to Christ, and he opened up this scroll, and from there forth, he was commanding the end times. He was commanding history. So who is worthy? No one. Not even this strong angel. If you don't understand the problem, you don't understand the word holy. We use phrases like, he dwells in unapproachable light. Who is going to approach God? I mean, doesn't, doesn't scripture itself say no one can see the face of God and live? So not just anyone can walk up to God. Only one is worthy. Why is this, lamb, this lion or lamb worthy to not only open the scroll, but to also be able to stand in the middle of the throne? and of the four living creatures, and in the middle of the elders. Who is worthy to stand in the presence of God and have a central position by the throne? Why is this lamb worthy to not only stand in the presence of God, but to be surrounded by these living creatures who cry out day and night, Holy, 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 is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. These living creatures are the seraphim mentioned in Isaiah 6, who cover their faces, their feet, in the presence of God. So they're, they're surrounding this lamb. Like, who is this guy? Why is this lamb worthy to not only be surrounded by the seraphim, but to also have them stop singing to the one who is on the throne so they can fall down and worship the lamb. You have in verse 8, when he, that is the lamb, had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. So here they are singing, holy, holy, holy. They stop singing to the one on the throne and they turn and they bow down before this lamb. Who is this lamb? That he would deserve to have the elders also join in to worship along with the seraphim. They not only fall down before the lamb, but they offer praise to him with harps and prayers with bowls full of incense. What? Who is this lamb? Who is worthy to be sung about and prayed to. And it goes on. And, and what did they sing? In verse 9. And they sang a new song to this lamb. Saying. Worthy are you to take the book. And to break its seals. For you were slain. And purchased for God. With your blood men. From every tribe and tongue. And people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom. And priests to our God. And they will reign on the earth. And in the scene here, from here, it's as if the scene crescendos. It increases, and and here's more and more momentum. And it's, it's as if John is startled 
with the sound of many voices around him. It's like he, he didn't notice this before. And all of a sudden, all of these angels, and as it says, myriad of angels, and it's, it's, they're being added to the chorus of the Lamb. There was not just a few of them in number, but myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands. Myriad means a countless or extremely great number. So it's just completely surrounded with this innumerable amount of angels surrounding them. Here we have all of the heavenly creatures joining together in verse 12 in a song about the Lamb. And what were they singing? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. These creatures were singing a song of consecration to the Lamb, devoting their lives to him. If this lamb is not truly worthy, this would be an act of coup d'etat, or overthrow of God. Who is this lamb, and why is he worthy to receive all of these seven gifts? He is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To receive even one of these would mean that there is something valuable about this lamb, but they, they say everything. Why is this lamb worthy to not only receive these gifts, but to receive them from the creatures representing the power and image of God? Again, you have the seraphim who are around the throne of God day after day. Is there another more powerful creature of all time? I mean, no, it's like these seraphim were powerful creatures. And not just that, but you also have these 24 elders who represents the church or us as mankind who are made in the image of God. So in some ways, us too, the seraphim and humans, are kind of at the top of the order of all creation. Why is this lamb worthy to not only receive these gifts from these multitude of creatures, but to also to be sung about with loud voices? So they were saying this with a loud voice. They were not whispering as if they were ashamed. Um, I, was, I was thinking of loud voices, and, and, and particularly men with loud voices. One time we had a, um, a dear brother from Arkansas come who's well known for speaking very loud in sermons. Uh, and I was in the back uh, nursery there, and he was speaking so loud that the speaker came down from the ceiling. <laughs> but see, he's just a man. But we're talking about angels with loud voices that can shake the heavens and the earth. And not just one, but, I mean, thousands and thousands and myriads and myriads of almost like this big stadium, I suppose. And, and it's just, if you were there, it would be deafening. And so it's like they, they were not ashamed to, to cry out, worthy is the lamb that was slain. The singing seems to even move all of creation to respond in song of worship. If we keep going here in verse 13, and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying. So who's left? There's, no, there's nobody left, right? Uh, in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, on the sea, all things in them, everything. It's like in their song, in their singing, it's, it's they're moving and stirring up everything in this song. And they say to him who sits on the throne 
and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Why is this lamb worthy to have the elders fall down yet again in worship after the song of consecration? It's like they can't help it. It's like they're so moved with this worship that all that they can do is just bow down and keep bowing down before this lamb. Why is this lamb worthy to not only have these elders fall down and worship him again, but to also have these four living creatures agree to what they are doing? They were not only caught up in falling down in worship and singing about the Lamb, but they wholeheartedly agreed with everything that was happening. And as it says, they kept saying, Amen. So here again, these powerful creatures who are by the throne of God day in and day out, they are watching all of this unfold, and what are they doing? Amen. Amen. I agree. Amen watching these elders bow down before this lamb. And probably more importantly, why is this lamb worthy to not only be worshipped and sung about, but to also have his name be tied together with the one who sits on the throne? To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. I mean, wouldn't it feel uncomfortable if I said to him who sits on the throne and to Andy? It's like, no, there's something wrong there. Like, you're, you're, you're making yourself equal to him who is sitting on the throne. Why is this lamb worthy to be worshipped in the very presence of God? Who is there watching this? The one who's sitting on the throne. Why is this lamb worthy to not only have this done in the very presence of God, but to have it approved by the Father himself. It's as if the Father himself remains seated at the worship of this lamb. If he disagreed with this worship, wouldn't he have acted against this violation of his nature? By nature, no one is equal to God and therefore should not be worshipped. Deuteronomy 5.9 says, You shall not worship them, or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And even later on in Revelation 14, verses 9 through 10, it says, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So what's happening here? What God is saying is when anyone bows down before anything else or anyone else except God, what is happening? God is mixing this wine of his wrath. Now, what does wine do? What happens if you drink too much wine? You become drunk, right? And what happens if you become drunk? You are overcome by alcohol. And you cannot control its effects. Its effects take hold of you. You are in submission of its effects. In the same way, that is the wrath of God. 
when the wrath of God comes, it's as if you were drinking this and you will be overcome by the wrath of God and its effects. And it's not a weak wine. What does he say? It's mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. But what, where is this happening at? Who is this done in front of? It says, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So the Lamb agrees to the torment of those who worships anyone else but God. Why doesn't he even protest to the worship of himself? Well, I've asked a lot of whys, so I should probably start answering the questions. Brethren, our Savior is worthy. He is worthy of all of this and even more. What more? What do you mean? What more? You. He is worthy of your praise, your prayers, your worship, your life, your heart, your devotion. Why is he worthy? There are a number of things that we could mention as the reasons to his worth, uh, but this morning I would like to just focus on what is mentioned in this section here. In verse 5, again, the section where it's almost like all of heaven is silent, and here the, the, uh, the apostle is weeping, this elder says, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. And then again in verse 9, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Jesus is worthy because he overcame and purchased us with his blood. What has he overcome? I mean, he fully satisfied the Father in all that the Father asked him to do. Jesus overcame by leaving everything behind and became a man. Do you see the majesty in this section that I was reading? Do you see the glory? He had this with the Father beforehand. But what? He gave it up. He left that. Why would he leave that? Jesus had all power and authority in heaven. But when he came down, he humbled himself under the authority of his creation. He created the men who he then submitted to. Jesus had all riches and owned all the cattle on a thousand hills, says the psalmist. But he came down in poverty. He gave that up. Jesus had all wisdom, but when he came down, he had to learn wisdom. Jesus was used to the cries of worship day and night by the seraphim. He was there when the seraphim were crying out day and night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty speaking to him. 
But instead, he came down and heard cries of, Who is this man? Or, Rightly do we say that you have a demon. Or, Crucify him. Or, He is not our king. I mean, you see the contrast. (laughs) Jesus left everything behind. He overcame. He left everything behind. As Charles Wesley properly put it, he left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free, for, oh, my God, it found out me. Jesus overcame by completing the righteous requirements of the law and satisfied them perfectly. Jesus overcame drinking the wine of the wrath of God mixed in full strength. That cup was mine. That cup was yours. It is enough that Jesus died, but that he died for me. He overcame the wrath of God so that he might purchase me with his blood. I can't help but quote hymns, <laughs> so poetical. But, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Specific. And the angels can't really sing this song, can they? They can't sing the song of redemption, not from their heart at least. Just kind of a matter of fact they can because they know what happened, but they can't sing it like we can sing it. Christ did not die for anyone else except for the human race. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in reference to the gospel, it says, things in which the angels long to look. So what does that mean? I mean, angels know about the gospel. They were there. They know what happened. So what does it mean that they long to look into this? Again, it's, it's like, what is this mercy? What, how does that feel? What does it mean to be redeemed, to be purchased? They will never taste mercy, but we can because Christ overcame. Jesus overcame death. Who could hold such a one as this? In Revelation 1, Christ tells John that he has the keys to death and Hades. I have keys to my car and my house, and I can come and go as I wish. I have ownership of these objects, yet I still have to subject myself to the governing bodies in regards to, the, in regards to these things. And, and in really, too, I don't really truly own these things. They were given to me by God. These are God's. I don't own it. But this is not the case with Jesus. He has the keys of death and the afterlife because, as he says in in chapter 1, he is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He rules over death. Death is subject to him. So now we need to apply these things. 
Do you see what Christ has done for you? Do you see his worth? How should we respond? Seeing his worth should prompt you to take up your harps and sing praise to him. Seeing his worth should cause you to lift up your bowls of incense. Pray to him who was slain for you. Seeing his worth should inflame the desire to give him all that you have. What purchased sins do you have on the surface of your heart? Notice that I said purchased. God is not holding them against you as a Christian. These sins were purchased by our worthy Savior. Jesus is so worthy that the Father no longer even has a drop of wrath for sins in your life. Jesus is so worthy that there is now no condemnation over you. None. It doesn't say some or a little. None. No condemnation. Jesus is so worthy that there will never be any condemnation over any sin that you might yet commit. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin, however, does create a rift in our relationship to God as a father to a son. And we need to deal violently with our sin because this, again, is why our Savior died. So my encouragement, don't go and try to dig really deep in your heart to find sin. But what sins are at the top of the surface, like floating at the top, that the Spirit is prompting you to deal with? What is he prompting you to give up? Christ is worthy. Give it up. Are you struggling with submission? Remember his submission. Christ is worthy. Are you holding on to your earthly possessions, your riches, your comfort, your reputation? Christ is worthy. Are you not using the gifts Christ has given you? He prophesied, he taught, he served, he freely gave, he cheerfully showed mercy. Christ has given you spiritual gifts for a purpose. Christ is worthy. Are you giving him complete dominion over your life? The verse says, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive. Receive doesn't necessarily mean like relinquish but to give him absolute authority over its use. It could mean relinquish in in particular things, but to give him absolute sway over everything in your life. D.L. Moody once said that character is what men do in the dark. Character is what men do in the dark. Don't just have an external show, but give complete dominion of your heart to Christ. Christ is the glory in Emmanuel's land, says Samuel Rutherford. But is he all the glory in yours? Christ is worthy. I like that uh, song by Francis Ridley Havergal, the song of consecration, where she, she offers to the Lord and she's saying, take this, take this. Take my life, take my moments and my days, 
Take my hands, take my feet, take my voice, take my lips, take my silver and my gold. Take my intellect, take my will, take my heart, take my love. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Christ is worthy to receive your power, your riches, your wisdom, your might, your honor, your glory, and your blessing. Because of who he is by nature and what he has overcome on your behalf. So the real application is this week, when you are struggling, remember that Christ is worthy and give it up to him. Why don't we pray here? Lord, all that we can say is worthy is the lamb that was slain. To, to receive full devotion of our lives. Uh, but Lord, it, it really is pitiful in a way too, Lord, that we, we need help in, in giving more of ourselves over to you. Uh, Lord, would you prompt us, Holy Spirit, would you prompt us uh, to consecrate our lives further to you? Lord, we again just ask that you would have full sway of our lives, full devotion. Amen.